Amen. Genesis chapter 8. Good to see all of you tonight. Good group for a Wednesday night. Getting bigger and bigger and bigger. By the way, we're growing since we started two services. We're up about 30, 35 people now than what we were just six or seven weeks ago when we started. Um, don't forget, too, very special weekend. Baptism on Saturday at the Price's house. Going to be baptizing just shy of 30 people. Most people I've ever baptized at one time in 37 years as a pastor. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Hope you are, too. Hope, you're looking, hope you can be there to be a part of it. Cheer these people on and encourage them. Even if you're not being baptized, we'd love to have you come and uh, watch if you've never been to a baptism before. Um, and then don't forget, obviously, our two services on Sunday, 9 and 11 o'clock, and then our trunk or treat activity for families and kids and anybody that wants to come. You don't have to be a kid to come to trunk or treat. Just come. Eat all the candy you want. <laughs> Tonight in Genesis chapter 8, God is going to begin to reestablish the world that he destroyed by water. And we're going to see three things about God and three things about Noah in Genesis chapter 8 tonight. We're going to look at the faithfulness of God, the breath of God, the hand of God, and then with Noah we're going to see that Noah is waiting on God, he is welcoming God, and he is worshiping God. Let's first start with the faithfulness of God, what we just sung about tonight. Notice the first few words of Genesis chapter 8. God remembered Noah. And this is right after verse 24 of chapter 7. The waters prevailed over the earth for 150 days, but God remembered Noah. Now, the word remembered here, attached to God, is not describing an act of memory. <laughs> it's not like God forgets anything. It's not like Noah was off his radar or that, that somehow, you know, uh, God stopped paying attention. No, just the opposite. It's a sign of his faithfulness. That's what the word remembered means. It is to be mindful of someone or something continually. Continually in their mind. In fact, it comes from a root Hebrew word literally that means to mark somebody. Realize, God marked Noah. And he never took his eye off of Noah the whole time. He's been with Noah, paying attention to Noah from the time he and Noah first engaged with one another and began a relationship and began walking with each other. But that's not just true of Noah. I want us to re be reminded tonight that's true of you and of me. God, because you are his child through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has marked you as his child. And you are in his mind continually. He never takes his mind off of you. He is always paying attention to you. He is always 
remembering you because he's faithful towards each and every one of us. Notice it says, though, that God not only remembered Noah, he remembered all the animals, the wild and the domesticated animals that were on the ark. God remembered all of them. God took care of all of them and oversaw their care, even if he instructed Noah to do something or whatnot before he built the ark or while he was building the ark or when he was on the ark. It was still all God taking care of those that he drew to take refuge in the ark. I want you and I to just be reminded about the faithfulness of God tonight. Like Job or certain situations or seasons of our life, we may think God's taken his eye off of us. We may feel that he doesn't see me or what's going on, but that's not truth. That's not reality. The reality is God never takes his eye off of his people. In fact, keep your finger there in Genesis chapter 8 and go over with me to a great passage of Scripture in the prophet Jer uh, Isaiah, excuse me, Isaiah 49. Isaiah chapter 49. And I'm going to begin, if I can get to it, in verse 14. Isaiah 49, verse 14. Zion, or Israel, my people, have said, the Lord has abandoned me. The sovereign master has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her baby who nurses at her breast? Can she withhold compassion from the child she has born? Well, some do. So God says, even if mothers, which doesn't happen very often, but it does, were to forget their children, I could never forget you. Mark that down. That's important. God never forgets you. You are on his mind continually. In fact, he goes on in verse 16 to say, look, I have inscribed you and your name on my palms. Your walls are constantly before me. Everything about your life is right there in front of me. And we're going to talk more about this Sunday with Job, but you want to talk about beginning to have our minds blown and expanded by the greatness of our God? There's 8 billion people on the planet right now. And our God is able to keep every last person alive right there. That in its of itself is like, oh my golly. Yeah, I've always thought about that even with prayer. It's like all these Christians can be praying at the same time about even different things, and God keeps it all straight. I can't even keep my own prayers straight. And God keeps everybody's prayers straight, right? I mean, when you and I begin to think about the intricacies of our God and how he works and the detail that God absorbs every day about our life and from our life and from us, it's amazing, our God. He's so faithful, and he will never, ever, ever forget us. 
Maybe we feel that way. Maybe our spiritual enemy is trying to drive a wedge between us and God and make us think that he's forgotten about us. But that's where we've got to come back to like Job. And what do we know about our God? We know that he will never forget us. And then if you go back to Genesis 8, this concept of God's faithfulness sort of is the bookends of this chapter because you begin with the faithfulness of God. God remembered Noah and all the animals on the ark and you end the chapter with God's faithfulness because notice God's response to Noah's worship beginning in verse 21 in the middle. I will never again destroy everything that lives as I have just done. God is making a promise to Noah that he will never destroy the world by a flood or anything again. In fact, look at verse 22. While the earth continues to exist before he destroys it one day after the millennial kingdom and does make a new heaven and a new earth, he says planting time and harvest time and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night will not cease. Until the end of the world, God will establish a cycle of seasons. And even in the changing of the seasons, we are to be reminded as God's people that even that shows he's faithful because we go from one season to another, just like God said. By the way, very interestingly, if you didn't note that, that that means that there weren't seasons before the flood. Seasons and cold and hot and all of that were established by God after the flood. Before the flood, pre-flood world, very different from post-flood world. Canopy, moderate temperature, pretty much the same. That's why people lived such long lives. They didn't have to exist with extreme heat, with extreme cold, with the changing of the seasons and what that brings, obviously snow and ice and, and rain and all that. They did not have to deal with that. Like I said, they didn't even know what rain was before the flood. So even in the changing of the seasons, even in the cold going to hot and hot going to cold, you and I should be reminded that is just a sign of how faithful God is. Because he promised Noah that in, as long as the earth exists, this will be the cycle that you can expect. What a faithful God. He made that promise to Noah thousands of years ago. And guess what? Here we are. Same cycle after thousands of years. That's how true, that's how reliable, that's how dependable the word of God is. He is a faithful God He's faithful to his people. He's faithful to his promises. And this is one of the things that we see in Genesis chapter 8. And then it begins to work upon us as to, then how should I live my life if I know I have a faithful God? Is there anything that I could be doing differently or is there something that I should be doing that I'm not doing because maybe the reason I haven't done it yet or haven't stepped out or stepped up to do it is because 
I really am not trusting in the faithfulness of God, but if I truly believe that God was faithful and that he had me, he had my back, he, he, I was in his everlasting arms and all of that, that I would do it if I truly believed in the faithfulness of God. Something to consider and ponder tonight. But then I want to move on. We not only see the faithfulness of God here in Genesis chapter 8, we see the breath of God. Notice how God began to dry up, if you will, the earth. Now, getting a little ahead, but in verse 2, he shut off the spigot, if you will. And we're going to talk about that when we talk about the hand of God. But notice in verse 1 at the end, it says, God caused a wind, Hebrew word, ruach, to blow over the earth and the waters receded. Why is this significant? It is the same word that is used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It is the same word that is used in the book of Exodus, chapter 14, verse 21, when it says, and the breath of God literally blew apart the Red Sea so that his people could part. The breath of God did that. That's powerful. <laughs> the wind of God, the breath of God, the Spirit of God dried up the earth after he shut the water off. The breath of God blew an ocean apart so that his people could go over on dry land. In the book of Exodus, it was the breath of God that brought the swarms of insects into Egypt, and the breath of God that blew them away. The application for me was, wow. And to realize that as God's people, we have access to living by his breath. That's really what living by the Spirit Walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, because again, in the Old Testament, it not only is translated wind and breath, it's also the Spirit of God. And you think about then the supernatural energy and power and all of that that is at our disposal if we, in a sense, with our spiritual lungs, would breathe in the breath of God and live by God's breath every day as we move through our day. What could we not accomplish? And no wonder then the prophet Isaiah says that those that wait upon the Lord, oh my goodness, they can be strengthened with this supernatural strength that just keeps them going and they won't faint and they won't grow weary. Why? Because they're taking in as they wait upon the Lord the breath of God. I hope tonight that you are breathing in as you are here in his house the breath of God. I hope when you go home tonight and lay your head on that pillow that you breathe in the breath of God tonight as you sleep and that when you wake up, you're right there ready to breathe in the breath of God in the morning to go about your day. It will make your day completely different when we live by the breath of God. It is our, if you will, uh, scuba apparatus. It is what we can put on our, our, our spiritual bodies to be able to exist at a level that we never could otherwise. And it's powerful. 
It's power. The breath of God. And then the hand of God. Notice verse 2, the fountains of the deep. Remember last week we said there's three different sources for the floodwaters. There were the fountains of the deep, the floodgates of heaven, and then the rain. All three are mentioned in verse 2, but notice it also says that they were closed and the rain was stopped. What restrained it? The hand of God. The hand of God. Because what I want us to see tonight is that the hand of God is in everything. Everything. Think about that in your life. There is not anything that you and I experience that the hand of God is not in, not a part of. Let me show you this. You know, I'm so into this Job character that we've got to go back there tonight. I know, it's not enough we're there on Sunday. We've got to go now on Wednesday. So turn with me to the book of Job chapter 12. I want to show you a couple verses here tonight. Job chapter 12. And look at verses 9 and 10. And this really goes along even with what we're seeing in the book of Genesis. Job 12, 9 and 10. He's talking about the animals. Okay, that's the context. Verse 7. The animals, the fish, the birds. And then he says in verse 9, which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done whatever it's done, even in the animal world. And then notice verse 10. In whose hand, whose hand? God's hand. Is the life of every creature and the breath of all the human race. Where's it at? In the hand of God. Our very breath that we breathe is in the hand of God. Remember what Jesus said? He said, no man can pluck you out of my Father's hand. You're in the hand of God. You're in a very secure and safe place. And nothing, just like we've learned with Job, is going to happen to you or touch you that has to first pass through the mighty hand of God. Moses wrote in the book of Deuteronomy that we literally exist in the everlasting arms of God. And that his arms are continually upholding us, carrying us throughout our day. The hand of God. Think through the scripture at all the times that the hand of God is referred to. And basically what is being revealed to us in the book of Job, again, is that everything, every creature that exists, even their breath is in the hand of God. The hand of God is in everything. You and I can't say that the hand of God is not in something. It absolutely is, because even the breath of every creature and the breath of all the human race is in the hand of God. Wow. So when the Bible said that God shut the water down, it was by his hand that he did that. He does it all by his mighty hand. Know tonight that you and I are in relationship with a faithful God. 
a God who wants to let us live by his supernatural breath and power and sustenance and sustaining force, and that he wants us to know that we are in his very hand, a hand that is mightier than any hand. If God had a hand, I know we have to get use our things to be able to understand our God. That's just, again, how great he is. We're going to talk more about that Sunday. But that's the way it is. God has to use things that we can understand to begin to grasp his greatness. Otherwise, it's beyond us. So even throughout this destruction of the world, and, and you think about it, what was Noah and his family feeling like when they looked out and saw nothing but water? How intimidating that might have been. How, how like, ooh, you know, I'm glad that we're in the hand of God in here. I'm glad that I can live by the breath of God. I'm, I'm glad that I am walking with a faithful God. Otherwise, as I look outside the ark and I don't see land anymore, there's no land anywhere. We've already seen in the book of Genesis that the water covered the highest mountains by 20 feet. There was no land anywhere on the earth. I don't know about you, but that would sort of creep me out. I don't even like to go on a cruise. <laughs> much less be out in the middle somewhere where you, there's no land no matter where you go on the earth. None. And yet, Noah could feel safe and secure and settled and stable because of the faithfulness of God, the breath of God, and the hand of God. But let's look at Noah for a few moments tonight. I'm going to pick it up in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 8. The fountains of the deep, the floodgates of heaven were closed and the rain stopped falling from the sky and the waters kept receding steadily from the earth so that they had gone down by the end of the 150 days. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on one of the mountains of Ararat. Notice it's a play on Noah's name. Noah means rest. And the ark came to rest on one of the mountains. By the way, when Noah began to send birds out to see if there was any uh, land available at this point, notice in verse 9, the same word is used that the dove could not find a resting place. But the ark did. The waters, verse 5, kept on receding until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark, sent out a raven, and it kept flying back and forth until the waters had dried up on the earth. Then Noah sent out a dove to see if the waters had receded from the surface of the ground. The dove could not find a resting place for its feet because water still covered the surface of the entire earth, and so it returned to Noah in the ark. Now, let me stop at this point. I could... How bad do you think Noah and the rest of his family wanted to get off that ark? They had been cooped up there for about a year until they get off the ark. In fact, it's one year and 10 days to be exact before they finally are able to embark. One year and 10 days. 
I don't care how well you get along with your family member. <laughs> Not being able to escape their presence for one year and 10 days. Oh, and then you've got all the animals from all over the earth. I'm sure that smelled good. And I, I, you know, I realized some could have been hibernating and all of that, but there was still probably noise and mess to a certain degree. I'm sure Noah and the rest of them were just like, I can't wait to get off this boat. But I want you to see something. Noah had to learn to wait on God's timing. He stretched out his hand, the end of verse 9, took the dove and brought it back into the ark, and he waited seven more days. This word wait means to twist or writhe. Noah's like, I really want to get... Have you, have you ever been in a situation where you're like, God, just let me get to the next thing. I am tired of being where I'm at. I don't want to keep dealing with this anymore then you know how Noah felt. He waited seven more days, and then it says in verse 11, when the dove returned to him in the evening, there was a freshly plucked olive leaf in its beak. Oh, good, Noah's thinking. Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth, but guess what? He waited another seven days and sent the dove out again, but it did not return to him this time. The patience of Noah and having to wait on God's time. And this word wait then means to wait with hope and expectation, which is where God wants to get all of us. Instead of writhing or twisting, that we just go, okay, God, I'm just going to wait for you. But I'm going to wait in hope and expectation. I know you're going to move at some point. I know things are going to change. I, I know I'm going to move on to something else. But until you move, I'm going to wait. Listen, here's an important principle that all of us need to just come to a realization about. And that is that God will always seek to build patience into our life and get his children to learn to wait on him for things and his timing. So don't even buy into the old thing of, I don't pray for patience anymore because I don't want to It won't work. Because God is going to bring things into all of our lives that we have to wait on. It's one of the disciplines, it's one of the qualities that God wants to build into his people. To learn to move at his leading and direction and not before. To wait, to be patient. But, but patient in hope and expectation, knowing that God is going to show up at some point. I mean, again, I just keep going back to Job, but that's where we're at on Sunday. Job's having to do the same thing. Can something change? It's about to. Come Sunday. But that God, God understands the value of his people being a patient people that waits on his time. So notice verse 13. In Noah's 601st year, in the first day of the first month, the waters had dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. And by the 27th day of the second month, the earth was dry. 
Noah and his family then, if you add all that up, were on the ark one year and 10 days. Verse 15, then God spoke to Noah and said, come out of the ark. Waiting. I know, none of us like to wait. But we're going to have to learn to wait as the people of God. It's just part of God's training in our lives. But then notice this. Notice not only the waiting of Noah, notice the welcoming of Noah. And I mean that in the sense of welcoming the Lord's leading and direction. Because notice, Noah entered the ark through God's voice, remember? It was God who said, Noah, now you can come into the ark with all the animals in your family. And notice that Noah doesn't leave the ark until he hears the voice of God. It is the voice of God that takes him into the ark, and it is the voice of God that will lead him out of the ark. He is showing this quality of welcoming God's leading and direction. God, I will not move until you say. And that also then presupposes that we are tuned in to the voice of God, that we're interested in listening to God's voice, and that we're dialed into it and say, okay, God, I will not move until you tell me to, and then I'll keep going until you say not. I will, I will learn how to navigate my life by listening to the voice of God. That was Noah. But God is looking, obviously, for hearts that welcome that, that embrace that, that receive that, and that want to hear his voice and be led by him. And then, as I said, this chapter is basically about God beginning to reestablish the world post-flood. And so notice, beginning in verse 17, he's going to give Noah... Much of the same instructions, if you will, that he gave Adam and Eve. He says, let them increase. Who? All the birds, the animals, every creeping thing that came out of the ark. Let them increase. Let them abound. Let them be abundant and be fruitful and multiply on the earth, including mankind. we got to fill the earth back up. By the way, we live in a world today and we have people today in the world that are always concerned about, we've got too many people on the earth. We've got to get rid of some, you know. Population control. God was never about that and never is about that. From God's perspective, there's plenty of room for everybody on it. You, you just do what I tell you to do. And the second thing that we don't like too much either is God was like, I like swarms of stuff. So that means all those little irritating insects, yeah, we're like, we don't want any of them, and God's like, oh, let them multiply. Let them abound. Let them be abundant. God's all about abundance, even when it comes to the, the little critters and creatures and insects and all of that that we don't like. God said, get out there and go for it. So Noah, verse 18, went out along with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives. He welcomed the leading of God. Every living creature, verse 19, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out of the ark in their groups. And now, 
we see the culmination of it all. What is the first thing that Noah does after he exits the ark? After his supernatural rescue from God, Noah wants to worship the God who rescued him. Noah's focus, notice, even after all that time, you know how it's like, oh, I'm off the ark. I can breathe again. I can take a deep breath. I, I've got all these things I want to do when I get off the ark. Instead of thinking of himself and maybe all of that, he's thinking of God. He's like, oh, before I do anything, i got to pause and I've got to thank my God for bringing me and my family and all these animals through the great flood. So Noah built an altar to the Lord. By the way, this is the first time an altar is mentioned in the Bible. What is an altar? An altar is a place of worship. An altar is a place where offerings are given and sacrifices are made. That's what an altar is. In fact, we're going to see through the book of Genesis, we see this with Abraham. Every time he moves, he builds another altar because he wants to have a place of worship because it is teaching us, even in the Old Testament, the primacy of worship. Not only the primacy of worship and the priority of worship, but the fact that you and I as the people of God should have places of worship that are priorities for us and that speak to us, I would hope that the Oasis Church, that this place, this physical building would be a significant place of worship for you. But it should not be the only place. You should have personal places of worship that, that mean something to you, that you go to, that, that, that are your sort of places where you go and commune with God and worship Him and thank Him and show your gratitude. All of us should have those altar places in our life those go-to places that where we just sort of can get along with God and be grateful and worship him and adore him and bless him. That was Noah. It is also a reminder that you and I, as much as we ask God for things and we pray about things and we seek God for things, that we also better make sure that in all of our asking and requesting and seeking, that when God moves and when God answers our prayers and when we see the hand of God at work and all of that, that we take as much time to pause and say, thank you, God. Thank you. To make sure that our worship is on equal par with all of our requests, seeking, and asking of God. God does so much for us every day, every day, that if we were really in tune with God, we could say, you know what? Every day I should just worship him because he's so good every day. And then he took, notice, some of every kind of clean animal, which is why the Clean animals outnumbered the unclean, clean birds, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And here it is. This is the part that I brought up before we worship tonight. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. Again, yes, trying to help us to understand 
The invisible God has a nose that can smell, but it's simply the idea that the sacrifices that Noah was making was pleasing to God. It's a phrase that is used throughout the Bible simply to say God was pleased with Noah's sacrifice. Say another way, put a smile on his face. It was acceptable to God, however you want to say it. And then based on Noah's worship, God was then inspired and motivated and moved to respond to Noah and say, Noah, because of your worship, I want to tell you something. I'm going to respond to you as you worship me, and I'm going to let you in on something. I'm going to reveal something to you because of your worship. I'm going to make a promise to you because you're worshiping me. So again, it, it shows how God is engaged with us and responds to us in our worship. And the more we worship him, the more he responds to that worship. And God said, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind. Even though the inclination of their minds is evil from childhood on. So notice something here. God says, I'm under no illusion that the eight people that get off the boat, that there's no sin in their life. Sin could not be wiped out by the flood. That's why we believe in total depravity. As Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out, it's his heart. He's got a bad heart. And those eight people that were on the ark still had heart issues. And so obviously as they be, would begin to multiply and be fruitful and have kids and expand families and all of that, sin would come back across the earth. But God said, even though there's going to be sin, I will not do again what I did this time. I will never again destroy everything that lives as I have just done. The faithfulness of God's promise. God is so faithful. As we end tonight, I, I want you to think about whether it was just today, this past week, this month, this past year. Is there some specific thing that you can point to and say, I see the hand of God in that. I see the faithfulness of my God in that. And I need to praise him and worship him because of that. I need to pause and thank him and be grateful for that. I need to bless him and adore him because his hand has been on my life because his hand is in everything. And he's been faithful. And I can point to specific things this day, this week, this month, and this year. Ah, I love that song that we ended with. Great is thy faithfulness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you tonight that, Lord, you give us the ability in our minds and hearts to be able to absorb some of who you are. And, Lord, to begin to appreciate, Lord, who you are and especially who you are to us. You never forget us, God. 
You are mindful of us continually. You give us the breath to breathe that is contained in your hand. And in your hand is everything in our life. There is nothing, Lord, that we experience that your hand is not a part of. May we take comfort and encouragement and strength from that. And may we be encouraged and and built up tonight by the fact that, God, we've been reminded just how faithful you were to Noah and you are the same God to us today. Each one of us here tonight and those who are watching from home tonight can point to specific instances, God, maybe even today, this week, this month, and this year, where we have seen you faithful. And we need to say, thank you, God. Thank you for being so faithful to us. May we, God, live lives of worship to show, Lord, our appreciation, our gratitude, our thankfulness, for who you are and what you do for us every day. May we be inspired by the story of Noah and be a person that realizes, God, though we don't like it, we're going to have to learn to wait on you. We're going to have to learn, God, to welcome your timing and your leading and your direction and to learn to zero in and tune into your voice as you lead us, God. And then we need to live lives of worship, where we make worship a priority in our lives. Help us to build those altars, God, in our life to you and for you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.